Happy Resurrection Day. We're so glad to have you guys here with us this morning. Uh, version 3 of what we started here this morning is so our third service today. Uh, man, God has been so good. Uh, we've uh, hit the mark of over 500 people have been in one of three services today. Give God a round of applause. An amazing day. Uh, so, great. so glad that you guys are here. If you look around the room, you can tell uh, that uh, sort of a special day and we're excited about uh, what Christ has done in our hearts and our lives. But also, uh, we know that there is going to be a portion of you guys that are here this morning. And you know what? To be quite honest, and honesty is always a good thing in church. But to be quite honest, you're just not that excited about being here today. Truth be told, somebody made you come. And you're just like looking at the clock, what time we're going to get to O'Charlie's, and uh, you know, wh- you know, whatever's going on in your life, and you're just not that excited. And I totally get you. Uh, maybe you were told by your mama, because you were here in the South, and your mama looked at you, and she said, you better get your John Brown backside to church today if you want to eat Easter dinner at my house. Uh, I don't know, whatever reason that you may be here this morning, and maybe you were guilted in, maybe you've got a neighbor, maybe you've got somebody that just told you that, you know, you, they've been begging you to come, so you're here today, and you're just not excited. Maybe you came today just realizing, you know what, I ain't been to church all year, whatever, and, you know, I, on Easter, y'all want to go to church on Easter, because if you don't, the good Lord may cause a pandemic to happen, and you know, who would think, you know, anyway, uh, surely not, but anyway, uh, so a global pandemic, but anyway, so you're here today, because, uh, and you're just not really that excited about it, I want you to know, I'm with you. You say, what? I'm telling you, it's happened by our membership this morning. There was a conversation that went on by a couple in our church, you're not going to believe this. Connect Church members. And the wife was getting ready, and she was in you know, the powder room. She's putting all of her paint and makeup on, and she's doing all of that and uh, getting ready to go to church. And she realizes her husband is still in the John Brown bed. And she goes in this morning, and she goes in and said, Get up. We're going to church. It's Easter at Connect Church. And do you know what he did? He had the audacity to look at his lovely, godly bride and tell her, I'm not going. And just pulled up the covers. And he said, I have, she said, why aren't you going to church to connect church on Easter Sunday? He said, I've got three reasons. Reason number one, there are some people at connect church that are not friendly to me. I don't think they like me. Number two, there are some people at Connect Church that are suspicious of me. They question my motives. And number three, reason number three is that I'm not going is because I'm afraid if I do go, I'll mess something up. I'll say something or do something I shouldn't do. And she never batted an eye. Happened this morning. She looked at her husband, and she said, I'm going to give you three reasons why you're going to church. You know, y'all married. You understand what I'm saying? She had that look. She said, three reasons why you're going to church. Reason number one, almost everybody 
at Connect Church is overly friendly. They're all a friendly group of people. Reason number two you're going to Connect Church with me today is because that suspicion of what people think about you is all in your brain. It's not reality. And number three, the reason you're going to Connect Church is because you're the pastor and you have to preach today. And so I'm just saying, uh, I totally relate with you guys about struggling to be here this morning. Uh, and once you go through all that process, well, that technically didn't happen today. Uh, but uh, I understand it. And, and you ought to know from my line of work today, there's a lot of pressure on Easter Sunday, not just because you're preaching three times today, but this is like our Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, this is as big as it gets, and, and uh, man, you know, and, and I'm like, if I don't do really something good today, if I don't preach a great message today, I ain't going to see some of y'all for a year. So, man, I have got to lay this out, and there's pressure. Now, this really did happen this week to your beloved, godly, spiritual pastor's wife. On Tuesday, we're having, getting ready to go to bed, and Sometimes we do a prayer time, and so we were praying on Tuesday night, and, um, you know, I was just telling her, oh, man, it's been a long weekend, and, uh, man, Satan's been doing all this stuff, and so I just said, I'll be honest with you, babe, this is true. On Tuesday night, um, I just said, I need you to pray for me, and she goes, well, what's going on? And I said, it's just the pressure, to be honest with you, of preaching the Super Bowl Sunday of Christianity, Easter Sunday, and I said, I've got three things. And if you're married to a preacher, this is her life. You always have three things, and then I have a conclusion, Mark. So anyway, everything that happens in our conversations, three points and a conclusion. And so I, I looked at Belen, and I said, point number one, that, and seriously, I said, I need you to pray for me. Uh, as I said, you know, honestly, uh, on Easter Sunday of all Sundays, I need to be inspiring. You know, I want to really inspire people to follow Christ. Number two is I want to sound intellectual. You know, I want to make sure that people want to come back and go, this guy studies, this guy works hard, he does the research, and, and so I want to sound really smart. And number three, you know, you don't want to bore people. The gospel should never be boring. So uh, I said, Stanley, you know, I want to be funny. And um, funny. I kid you not, true story, is Belen looked at me and she said, babe, don't, and you know that look, you're married. She said, don't try to do any of those things. Just be yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Uh, and so, uh, so anyway, so apparently, I'm, you know, anyway, I think she met, you know, that that'll come out naturally. But anyway, that's how you take it, I guess. So, so I totally relate with all of those of you that are a little uncomfortable uh, that you're here today. But I've got great news for you. And here's the really good news. All the pressure's off because the real reason that we're here today is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is his day. It's all about him. And so just relax, enjoy the day, and allow him to pour into your heart and your life. What you're going to hear this morning specifically is two areas of testimonies. Testimonies, number one, are going to come from the biblical evidence. We're going to look at testimonies, actual testimonies, Josh, of people that saw the risen Savior after the cross. But now here's where it really gets good. Number two is you're going to hear testimonies from members of this congregation who are experiencing God's resurrection power in their heart, in their life 
2,000 years later into this very season of their life. So we're going to give you testimony today that gives validity to this hope and this promise of the resurrection and reality, if you will, this morning. So this morning as we unpack all of this, we're wanting to remind you, and this is where we're at today at Connect Church, God is beginning to awaken the heart of the people of this church to his love. God is beginning to awaken our hearts to his love. And here's just a little bit of the taste of how this is happening right now in this season here at our church. We've been talking about revival, and we're beginning to get a little taste of it. God is opening up our hearts of our people to see that. This is holy ground stuff. In the midst of COVID, in the midst of, what was it, the statistics came out this week that uh, I think it's the church attendance from 1999, the average person in America, 70% of our country was going to church in 1999, and we're down to 40s, 40%, 45%, something like that, now attend church in America on a regular basis. That's frightening. But in the midst of all of that negative news, we're in our sixth month, six months in a row that somebody has gotten saved, baptized, or joined this church. Give God a round of applause. An amazing, amazing run of what the Holy Spirit is doing. But it's not just that. We have small groups in our church, and every Sunday night, it's unbelievable, discipleship is happening here at Connect Church. We have about 18 to 20 small groups that are meeting on Sunday nights. Close to 200 people meet together, listen to the sermon, go home on Sunday nights in their small groups, in their homes, meet with about 10 or 12 other people, and talk about how funny the sermon was. And they talk about the Word of God, and they they apply it to their hearts and lives. They hold one another accountable. They dig into the Word of God and say, what does it look like for Jared to, and, and, and Courtney to go out and live this life? What does it look like for Nick and Amy to live this out in their life? And then we not only hold each other accountable, but then we gather around and pray uh, over one another. And in those groups, you not only come together to study the Word of God, to grow in discipleship, but then you go out and serve. In the next two months, those 18 connect groups will do eight service projects in this community of us going to homeless shelters, uh, taking care of the poor, ministering to all kinds of needs uh, all across the spectrum. We're going to send these connect groups out into this community just to simply serve and just to simply be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But not only is that happening, in three weeks, we're so excited about this as we partnered and we've adopted a church in South Mississippi near Jackson. And I'll be going and beginning the revitalization uh, p- process of pouring into a church in Jackson, Mississippi, meeting with their leadership once a month. I'm going to be meeting with them, pouring into them how God can bring back their church, how it can become alive again. And we're adopting them and doing it in, in that ministry. Unbelievable what God is awakening our hearts to and is not stop there. We have 10 people, members of our church, that this fall are going to get on an airplane and go to Japan to help a church plant in Japan, and we're going to be there to help grow the gospel in Japan. And it doesn't just stop in Japan. 
Yesterday, you've already heard this part of it, but 1,500 people went to a public park in the city of Tupelo and Connect Church gave away 35,000 eggs, did everything for free, all the prizes, and we shared with them the love of Jesus Christ in this community. God is beginning to awaken what we can be when we discover who he is and how much he loves us. So God is moving here at Connect Church. But this is what separates us from maybe some churches that you've been a part of. We don't just tell you the nice sugar candy stuff. It's a good thing on Easter egg Sunday, didn't it? We tell you the whole story. The truth of the matter is, is this season of God awakening in our hearts has been very painful. In this season, what God is doing is he is exposing sin in our congregation. We're having folks that are confessing, man, they have idols in their life. They have put their hope and their identity in relationships, in a spouse, in their kids, in their southern culture. We literally have a serious idolatry problem of people that believe that it's all about them and about their relationships. And if those things aren't right, then they're not happy in God. We've got folks confessing not only adultery, but we've got folks with addictions. We've got multiple folks that are struggling with all kinds of across-the-spectrum addictions. I'm talking about in our church family, and we're rolling up our sleeves in discipleship, and we're pouring into their lives to come alongside of them. And you know what? Some of them don't like it. We've had more folks get ticked off, get hurt in the pain of this. We've got some that are repenting. Many are finding freedom. But you know what? Some of them are mad. Some of them are rejecting all of that truth. And I said all that to say this. You can go down the street and you can worship a God and and you can have somebody tell you that, listen, here's five steps for you to have a happy life. But real awakening to God's love means that we repent over our sins. It means that we confess, I'm not king in my mountain. I'm not the one that's in control of my life. I surrender. You, you see, you don't have Resurrection Sunday. You don't have all of the pomp and ceremony that we have today if you first don't have the cross. We tell the whole story here. The way you get victory is the cross. Somebody had to pay the debt of your sins and mine. So in recent weeks, Satan has been attacking. But you know what this story reminds us of? It reminds us that God is awakening in our hearts to his love and what discipleship can do. Here's the really cool part. God is raising up folks to do discipleship in other people's lives. When you get a hold of this, God is going to awaken your heart to the possibilities of what God can do in your life. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I hope that this is what you're wanting to ask. So let me ask you this question. Would you like for God, listen to me this morning, would you like for God to begin to awaken your heart to how much he loves you. Let me say that again. Would you like for God to begin to awaken your heart to how much he loves you? 
I sure hope so, because that's what I'm preaching on today. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. The book of Matthew, chapter 28. And we're going to look at what uh, the story of how it impacted the resurrection in this process. Matthew opens up the gospel. Let me give you the context of our, of our verses here this morning. Matthew opens up the gospel by declaring that one of the most re- remote regions of the empire, where the world was most troubled, where the world was unexpected arrival happened, A Savior was born in Bethlehem. You cannot have the resurrection without the incarnation. They were looking for a political king back in the day, and yet who would rival Caesar Augustus. But a different kind of revolution took place. Jesus brought about a revolution, but it was not about an earthly king. You see, he was the fulfillment, the promise, the covenant promise between Moses and Abraham, and and Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Yet, many people were disappointed about who Jesus was. They wanted a political revolution, and Jesus had brought about a revolution of the heart. So the gospel writer of Matthew writes this book to help us really hone in on the fact that Jesus is our king. Matter of fact, of all the gospel accounts, Matthew gives us the shortest story about the resurrection. It's almost anticlimactic. And and you've got to ask yourself, as you go through the research and the study, why does Matthew give just a few verses to the resurrection? I think this is why. Because Matthew knew his readers were processing that Jesus is king. They already believed that Jesus was alive. So what he focused in on, what do you do with the resurrection? What do you do after you've already accepted that fact? And what Jesus, and here's what Dr. Michael Wilkins, a great New Testament scholar, he makes this argument. Uh, you want to write this down. He says this in the summary of our paragraph today. Hang on, sorry. Uh, he says his recording of this event is to awaken his readers to the reality that the resurrection declares that Jesus is who he said he was and now lives to be our faithful companion. That is so good. That's exactly what Matthew was writing for. In other words, Matthew desired to awaken the hearts of his readers that love reigns in the resurrection. Now look with me in the text this morning. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. (laughs) And then notice this next phrase, but some doubted. You're not going to believe this, Bobby, but they were Baptist after the resurrection on the mountain. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. After his miraculous bodily resurrection from the grave, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. It, you can, I can't even imagine the transition that happened as they realized that Jesus is alive. They'd seen him hanging on a cross. And now they're struggling with this process. You know, they've seen Jesus dead on, on the cross, buried in a tomb. And they're just like you and I today. 
Have you ever had a season in your life where you doubted God? Anybody in here ever doubted God? Raise your hand. All right, you all lying hypocrites because I know you're, uh, listen, I got both hands up. There have been seasons in my life whether I doubted God was alive because of what I'm going through in my life. We all encounter that. Sometimes on a weekly basis. And, and, and the people uh, that were there at his time were struggling with these same kind of doubts. Was Jesus a fraud? He seemed like he was dead. But the problem was not Jesus. Now get this. The problem was not Jesus. The problem was is the perspective of the people of the Jesus who they wanted. Do you know why so many of you have been hurt? by church. And I know you've seen a lot of crud. I know you've seen a lot of stupid things. And just let me help you out with this. Look at me this morning. There's a lot of wicked stuff that goes on in the name of Christ that has nothing to do with him. There's been a lot of religion and a lot of legalism that goes on in the name of Christ that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many of you have been burnt and hurt by some of the judgment and by some of the sin that happens within the body of Christ. Now let me help you through this today, okay? I get it. That's why we're filled with church people just like you and I that have been hurt by this. But get over it because your faith should have never been in a preacher. Your faith should have never been in a religion. You realize this morning, that all the other religions in the world, you know what they're gathered today on their holy day doing? They're going to the cemetery. They're taking flowers to their leader because their leader is buried in a grave. They've got a marker there and they're celebrating his death. But not us today. You're not going to find any of us carrying a flower to a tomb. You know why? Because our God is alive. Our God is alive. And so today, get your eyes off of people and get your eyes on Jesus. The problem is we keep trying to make Jesus fit our reality. And so we get hurt and we get disappointed. Can I share with you a pet peeve? It's my day, so I'll do it. I love y'all, but I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you straight up. One of the things that irritates me about y'all, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to gouge my eyes, ears out. I don't know. Do you gouge your ears out? I don't know. Anyway, uh, y'all frustrate the living daylights out of me. So many people have this view of Jesus. Jesus was just this sweet, genteel, walked on water, and everything was great in Jesus, and he was loving and Jesus was kind, and he never said a hurtful word, and roses and butterflies, and Jesus was love and love and love. And no, you're not right because you've never read your Bible. Because that's not who Jesus is in the Bible. This is our culture that we've adopted this philosophy, and because of our personalities or whatever. May I remind you that if you actually read about Jesus in the book, that Jesus said stuff that offended people. Jesus told families, if you're going to follow your family and not be willing to follow me, then you cannot be a part of me. Give up, if your family's going the wrong way, give up your family and go follow me. Well, that's not part of my southern culture, bless God. Do you know that, have you read the Bible? Do you know that Jesus told people to their face? He looked at them and said, you're dead sepulchers, you're whitewashed tombs, get out from among me. Jesus 
said, and was not kind, Miss Marie, when he said it, he said, if they don't accept the gospel that I'm preaching to you, wipe the dust off of your shoes and go get somebody who will. That's hurtful. So where do we come up with this whole concept? I don't even get it. Because the truth of the matter is, you all know the story as well as I do. When Jesus called us to be his disciples, we didn't like it when he told us the truth. We spit on him, we cursed him, and we crucified him to a cross. So where's the lovey-dovey stuff? He's pretty tough. So the problem is, y'all keep trying to force Jesus into your worldview. And as tough as that is, the resurrection changes all of that. The resurrection brings back the hope. The resurrection brings back the confidence and the, devo- and the devotion that Jesus really can transform me. He can make me one of his disciples. Dr. Charles Swindoll summarizes this part of the text that I love. Again, you want to write this down. Here's what he says. No longer did they merely believe that Jesus could be their king. Israel's a long way to Messiah. But now his glorious resurrection made them certain of it. I love that. You want to underline that phrase. They had confidence that Jesus could overcome their circumstances and their situations. So now, the disciples are just like you and I. They're asking, okay, he's alive, but yet I have these struggles, and he reminds them what mission he's on. And listen to me this morning. Jesus says, this is what you've got to get down today. Some of y'all are frustrated with Jesus. You don't get him. Here's Jesus' reason for coming. Why did Jesus come? All the other stuff we could talk about. Why did Jesus come? He came because you and you and you and me were separated from the Holy Father because of our sins. We had no access to a holy God. Jesus mission and purpose was to come to restore our broken relationship and to bring us into fellowship with God. The resurrection gives us hope and promise that this is a reality, and they came to believe in that. So what does that look like in mine, in my life? Uh, let me give you an illustration that's more uh, in, in our, our day and time. Uh, how many of you guys have been listening to the Connect Church podcast. Raise your hands. How many of y'all have been connecting? All right, we've got seven listeners, uh, Tanner, so boy, this is really paying off. Anyway, uh, so uh, Tanner does a great job. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you seven that support us. Anyway, uh, the, uh, so if you've been listening to the Connect Church podcast, what we do every week is uh, we try to recap the sermon. We give you some spiritual truth into your life. And then we have some fun. We have a good time. And Tanner comes to this part of the podcast every week where he says, and you all know it by now, what's the best and the worst of your week? Tanner and I, for the last three weeks of the podcast, have literally just wanted to jump off a cliff and drive our car right into a brick wall. Because for three weeks, Tanner and I have senselessly listened to Andrew whine and gripe about his dishwasher. I mean, every week when Tanner asks the question, I don't even look up. 
Tanner don't even want to ask him the question because for three shows and episodes, Andrew, I can hear Tanner's voice. All right, go ahead and tell me, what's the worst of the week? We know. Uh, oh, my dishwasher, we just moved here a year ago, and we went to Lowe's, and we got a new dishwasher, and, and it doesn't work, and, blah, 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 blah. and he's whining the whole time about the, you know, the new dishwasher, and, and we called Lowe's, and they said, well, you passed the three-month thing, so you have to call Whirlpool, and thank God Almighty, the resurrection is alive, and guess what happened? Whirlpool fondly called in Tudor Appliance. They went to his house last week, replaced his motherboard, and his dishwasher is working, and Andrew is a new happy person, and well, I know. Thank you, thank you. And finally, Andrew's in a good mood, and so we knew what was going to happen. Tanner, I mean, Andrew, what was your best of the week? They fixed my dishwasher. So shut up about the dishwasher. Amen, Tanner? <laughs> I'm just telling you. But you know what? Andrew's approach to his dishwasher should be how you look at today and the resurrection. Today should be the day that you are willing to say, because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive, he came into my broken world. He came into everything that was wrong in my life, and Jesus fixed me. Jesus healed me. Jesus saved me. And ladies and gentlemen, why in the world are you going out of here today with a negative attitude, with woe is me, my life's broken, I have all these problems. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive. Jesus can fix that which is broken in your life and today you walk out of here with victory in Jesus I'm just telling you Jesus is alive and so he changes not just our circumstances but he changes us and he wants you and I to adopt this philosophy so here's where we come down to as we wrap all this up this morning I got six minutes to give you three points so you listen fast all right, get your notes out for you new note takers. And um, here's how God wants to awaken your heart to how much he loves you. Here's how God awakens your heart. Number one, it's my favorite point in this. A disciple worships through their doubts. This is good. I love this point. A disciple worships through their doubts. Immediately after the resurrection. Oh, this is so cool. Immediately after the resurrection, the context of Matthew 28, 16, I'd never really unpacked all of this till this week. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you all to leave Jerusalem, go back up north to, to Galilee, and I want you to go to a mountain, is what the text says. Now, Bible scholars argue, and we don't know definitively what mountain that they went to. But some scholars contend that it was probably Mount Arbel. And the ones that are right, that agree with me, that's where they went uh, to Mount Arbel. Now here's the cool part. I've been to Israel, and it is such a glorious um, scene. When you go on top of Mount Arbel in Israel, it's unbelievable that you can look from that mountaintop and see the city of Capernaum, and by the way, that's where Jesus, for those of you that don't, don't know Bible stuff, by the way, thank you for coming. We love seekers at our church. You don't have to know the Bible inside and out or pass the Sunday school test to come to church here. That's our job to get it to you. So welcome to be a part of this. But in Jesus' three years on, on earth, he spent the majority of his time in the city of Capernaum. It's Peter's hometown. It's his house where he stayed at. 
And that's significant. But it also overlooks the sea. I mean, it is a gorgeous, tranquil place, the Sea of Galilee. Now track with me, hang with me this morning. So now, and the Bible scholars tell us that more than likely, about 500 people had gathered on top of the mountain, James, to see Jesus, many of them for the first time. With all their doubts, Jesus had been buried in the tomb, Marie, but now, on Mount Arbel, looking over Capernaum and, and the Sea of Galilee, Jesus appears in the midst of their doubts. He shows up on top of the mountain, and he's going to give them this message. But here's what I want you all to see. Don't you know the conversation sort of went like this? While he's on the Mount Arbel with them, he looks over the city of Capernaum. And don't you know he says to them, Danny, hey, I want you to look over there on that street in, in Capernaum. Don't you remember when there was a little boy who couldn't walk? All he had was crutches. And don't you remember that day that I came by and I touched his body, Stanley, and that little boy got up and walked for the very first time in his life and they were yeah and then he said look over there on that side street look over there in East Capernaum uh, and I want you to look in East Capernaum like East Tupelo and I want you to remember there was a lady blind over there she couldn't see she had never seen and I took a little bit of mud I spit into it and I put it on her eyes and when the mud fell off she saw for the very first time in her life and they're going that's our Jesus that's our king that's our God but then he got really personal with them and he said I want you to look at the Sea of Galilee and don't you remember the night, boys, that you thought it was all gone? You had lost all hope. The storm was ravaging the boat, and you were about to die. And then you looked up, and in the midst of the dark hour, I came walking on water, and I saved, and I rescued you. And I'm telling you, they had a God moment on top of the mountain. Are you with me this morning? Because they realized they had met the presence of Jesus in the midst of their doubt in the midst of their doubt. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your heart and life. Notice what he says in the text. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's what I just said. But some still doubted. So let me ask you a question this morning. Which crowd are you in? Are you in the worship crowd? Are you some of here, y'all are still skeptical? Man, you are Baptist to the core and you still doubt all this stuff that we're talking about today. I don't know about that. It ain't for me. You realize there's a reason why Satan wants you to doubt. And I'm not being self-righteous or better than you. I've already raised my hand. I've been a doubter. But you've got to figure this thing out. Satan wants you to doubt God. Why? Ask yourself, you got to ask, is that not a fair question? Why would Satan want me to doubt God? It's real easy. Because he wants you to quit. He wants you to quit church. He wants you to quit the faith. He wants you to quit because he knows if you meet Jesus on the mountain, he knows it's over. He knows he's going back to hell. He knows he's going to lose you. You're going to die and go to heaven one day. And Satan wants you to doubt what God can do in your heart and your circumstances. So what do we do to counter that? God, they met God on the mountain and they had their faith changed. Here's a, my favorite definition of faith. Write this down. Faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. You see, your faith is not in your John Brown circumstances. 
Let me say that again. Your faith is not in your John Brown circumstance. It is in a person. It's in a person in Jesus Christ. And that's what his argument was. He is saying to you and I, unexplainable faith is accepting the undeniable. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I want to remind you of what that looks like. Listen to Chris as he shares. Principle number two. So how do we really allow God to wake in our hearts and our lives? Is when a resurrection gives you a different perspective on life. Matthew teaches this vital important uh, to maintain the resurrection perspective on your life. Allow the resurrection to change how you see your circumstances and situation. And this is what discipleship does, ladies and gentlemen. It reminds us that Jesus is the authority of our life. Notice what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came in and said unto them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The circumstances in your life and mine do not define who we are. It is allowing Jesus in his presence to define who we are. Here's what discipleship will do with you. It'll change your perspective on life. This is part of what God is doing to awaken hearts and lives of our people. Yesterday, while at the egg hunt, while we're trying to greet and meet 1,500 people, I had uh, a lady, I had two different people come up to me yesterday while at the egg hunt. And this uh, uh, lady comes out and she says, you know, our connect group has just really felt led that we're going to take on this project. We have a lady that uh, is, a, is the mom to a guy, young man in our church, and she has cancer. And she's going through a very, really difficult season in her life. So our connect group is just going to disciple her. We're going to begin to pour in 
into her, and uh, we're going to begin to just take care of her, find out what her needs are, and we're just going to love on her and be with her through this time of her life. And, and, and she just said, uh, I wanted you to know. Did you listen to what I just said? This is where Connect Church is at. Y'all know how we used to do church back in the day. Somebody would start griping and complaining, well, m- brother, you know, so-and-so has a mom that has cancer. The preacher needs to go visit them. The preacher hasn't checked on them. The preacher hasn't done that. Do you love what God is doing in Connect Church? It's not my job. You guys are having your hearts awakened. She didn't come and ask me for permission or what I thought about it. She just said our whole group is going to disciple this lady and we're going to take care of it. And I'm like, go to it, baby. That is what ministry should be looking like. And then we had another young lady that came up to me and she said yesterday while at the egg hunt, and this lady is not an overt personality. This lady, if she's not spoken to you, don't get Amanda offended because she really just not a big fan of people. And so the truth of the matter is, is that she is not an outward, you know, type person that's just, you know, all lovey-dovey and all that. But she comes up and she says, guess what? God has laid on my heart. I'm going to start a D group. I'm going to start discipling other ladies. And I'm not going to lie to you. My teeth fell out of my mouth. I'm going, no way. Uh, I mean, she is excited about picking out two or three ladies. And this is what God is doing to awaken the hearts and lies, but it'll change your perspective too. Last week was a really tough week. Satan was attacking our staff. He was attacking you all and just all kinds of stuff from hell that Satan has been, he hates what God is doing in this church. I go into my D group on Monday night I've got my four guys in there, and uh, I'm getting ready to pour into them. And i got to be honest with you, I was not feeling very spiritual. I did not want to be there, but it was on the schedule, and I went in with a less-than-stellar Jesus attitude. And I went in, and I'm like, let's go ahead and do this. And God is so cool and so big when it's not about you. And we did it anyway. And guess what? We started off the session, and we just laughed for a while, and we talked about how people have been getting on our nerves, and I shared a little bit, and they shared a little bit, and we just began to have an interaction and telling some funny stories, and then we got to our Hear Journal study, and guess what? When we're all struggling with people being under our skin and all that, guess what chapter we are in that week in our D group? We're in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet and deals with those who had rejected him. By the way, he didn't wash Judas's feet. Judas had already left him. And do you know what the guys poured into me and said, Brother Terry, that night? They said, Brother Terry, there's going to be people who don't receive your ministry. There's going to be people who don't like what you're preaching to them, and they're going to walk away. Brother Terry, you can either focus on that one who just left, or you can be what Jesus did and focus on the 11 that's still remaining in the room, and you keep doing your ministry. And I'm telling you, are you hearing me this morning? It didn't change the fact that there's some folks upset. It didn't change the fact that the pain of what's going on in our church, you know what it changed, James? It changed my perspective it changed me so I pull up to my house on Gracie Lane feeling better you know Jesus has got this the resurrection I'm going to preach today and all of that I pull up on Monday night to my house feeling pumped up and ready to go and guess what my driveway's lined with cars Belen's not supposed to have, she's supposed to have supper. We, we're not supposed to have anything going on. I pull up at 8 o'clock at night 7 30 whatever it was and I, my driveway you know what I'm thinking I done got fired Y'all don't laugh. It ain't funny. I'm thinking, man, I have said something stupid again, and, or something's broke loose in the church. We got a whole other thing that's going on, a scandal, whatever's going on. And I mean, I'm just like negative Nancy, and I'm like, what in the crud is going on again? And I just 
timidly walked in the house like waiting for the bomb to drop. And I opened the door. And about a half a dozen ladies or so is in our living room with their hands over my wife. And they're praying over her because they said, we know that two weeks ago your brother died. A horrible, horrible, painful death. We haven't even got the body back from California yet. A miserable situation. We know that you've been counseling other ladies, and we know that not everybody's happy with you, Belen. We can see the weight of the world on your face and on your spirit. And they laid hands, and they prayed over my wife. Now hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. The prayer did not change her brother's death. The prayer did not change the pain that's going on in this church. It didn't change any of the John Brown circumstances. It changed our perspective and kept us going forward. That's what the resurrection does in your heart, in your life. Listen to another lady in our church who God's been doing the same thing in her life. Principle number three of how God awakens your heart uh, to his love is the resurrection gives you purpose in your life. The resurrection gives you purpose in your life. We are to be the light into the world. We have been commissioned by Jesus Christ and called not to be about us. We're called to go and make disciples. Verse 19, as we wrap all this up, more to come in the weeks to come in the sermon about this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. This is why we have connect groups at, at uh, our church that meet on Sunday nights. This is why we have D groups that are meeting. We have approximately 12 that are meeting right now. We hope to have 24 by next year and to have 48 the following year. I'm telling you, we're getting uh, our hearts awakened to what God can do in our hearts and lives through discipleship. Now, here's the thing. Let me ask you the question as we wrap all this up. What does it look like in your heart to begin to awaken to God's love? What does it look like in your heart for God to begin to awaken his love in your life? Maybe this will help you. This past week, 
all of the stuff going on. I was just sitting one day in the living room, and I was looking around our house. And if your wife is like mine, we have pictures all over the house. We have raised three boys, and they're all adults now, sort of. And uh, those three boys, when I look around the house, I watched all the pictures and the age of them growing up. And the bad thing about getting my age is, honestly, I don't remember a lot of those days when they were little. I mean, I just have a terrible memory. And all the joy and all the fun of just being able to have a baby in the house and all that, honestly, I don't remember all that. And I was trying to think back, Danny, what that was all like. But you know what has changed? What has changed me? is being my age is we've got two little precious grandchildren and two more on the way and 18 months ago god dropped little bundles of babies joy into our hearts and our lives and it's so much better than having kids so all of you parents with those kids that you're you know all of that that you're going through you know you want to forget uh trust me uh it gets worse (laughs) and so but the great thing about it is grandkids and you know what the grandkids have done is when i hold these little babies now It is so unbelievable cool because when I hold them, there is so much joy in my life. And because I get to see them, and and, and you see, it's not just any kid. Those are my kids. Those are Pierce family, part of our family. And I get to be Papa T to those babies. And it's just brought a whole new joy and a love and excitement again for little ones in my life. And it's revitalized Belinda and I just having these little babies in our life. And that's exactly what God is doing in this service today. God is awakening in your hearts to the joy of having a heavenly father who loved you enough to send his only son and he died for you so you could be a part of the family of God. And today, God the Father is saying, welcome back to the family. Welcome back to the family. Let you have my heart. Would you stand with us this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of reminding us, of waking our hearts today of how much you love us. If if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to just step out and come today. We're going to sing a verse of invitation, and and we're going to invite you to come this morning and just say our counselors will meet with you, they'll pray with you, and man, if God has tugged on your heartstrings today and says, I really don't know for sure that if I died today, I would go to heaven, would you like to come today and allow God to save you? As we sing a verse of invitation, come and our counselors will pray over you. Would, Would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.